Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. All right, in this episode, we'll look at Mirror, a smart fitness hardware and subscription service for better at-home workouts. I'm speaking with their CEO, Bryn Putnam, and she explains how they're pursuing their goal of getting Mirror into every home. Uh, Their growth approach is actually pretty different from most of the companies that we've previously looked at. Because Mirror is so experienced and brand-driven, the team's invested a lot of money up front and a lot of time up front in building a great product experience and then building trust in the brand. So now they're becoming much more sort of data iteration-driven with a systematic approach to nurture buyers from interest to becoming loyal customers. So initially they're trying to build desire for the cool product and then build trust, usually through social proof, then get people to make the purchase. And over time, build that habit of using the product through a rewarding and gratifying experience that not only will help retain and engage customers, but actually help to drive the referral loop and and bring in more customers. So it's a pretty different story and I think it's a really interesting one. So let's get started. Hi, Bryn. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to dig into Mirror with you. It's a, it's a really interesting company. Um, so before we dig into how you're approaching growth at Mirror, it'd be great if you could give us a quick introduction to what it's all about. Absolutely. So Mirror is a nearly invisible interactive home gym. When it's off, it's a beautiful full-length mirror. And then when it's on, you can see live and on-demand classes of any type from yoga to Pilates, bar, boxing, weightlifting, dance, cardio, um, as well as one-on-one personal training, which is an optional um, upsell onto our baseline subscription. Okay, so when when you're not using it with a personal training, what what's what's the experience like? What is uh, what are you actually looking at in the mirror? What you can see during a class experience is yourself reflected, your instructor transmitted and speaking to you, the members of the mirror community, and then the experience is optimized in real time to your personal profile. So everything from um, the content changing if you have an injury to exercises uh, getting harder, if your heart rate is not in the correct target heart rate zone, there's really this um, real-time optimization that occurs based on your goals, preferences, injuries and heart rate data. Very cool. And so, so it's, then it's group classes then when it's not the, when it's not a personal trainer. Yeah, absolutely. So it's one instructor speaking to many people. You're able to see the avatars and locations for the members of your class and you can communicate by sending emojis and notes to each other, which appear up on the screen. Oh, very cool. And then how does it, so you said that it kind of adjust based on your heart rate and some other things. So in a, in a group class setting, that seems like it would be kind of hard for them to adjust uh, to, to each individual. How does that work? Yeah, what's really nice is the main class sort of continues with the instructor offering encouragement, tips, um, and really uh, keeping the class moving. But you'll see sort of alternate videos or text-based notes and animations that will come into view based on your personal profile and what your heart rate is doing. So you're able to stay a member of the group experience while getting personalized feedback in real time. Okay, so it's kind of like back off or or push harder or <laughs> to exactly. maybe oversimplify, but totally. okay, yeah. So like 
if you're seeing a jumping exercise and you have a knee injury, we'll slide in an exercise that doesn't have jumping. Or oh, if your cool. heart rate gets too high, we'll tell you to, to, to take a break and sort of rest period, things like that. Very cool. And then who, who are the typical customers on it? What's really exciting is because Mirror is a, a content agnostic platform, our audience is incredibly broad and diverse. So by month two after launch, we had members in every single state in the U.S. that we sold into, uh, members as young as children, uh, well up into their 80s, um, ranging from absolute beginners to advanced athletes, and uh, really evenly split between men and women. So there's a lot of diversity on the platform. Very cool. And how long has it actually been available? We started, um, uh, we publicly launched in September of 2018. So it's about, about a year and a half now. Oh, wow. So it's it's still pretty new. So um, what did you do pre-launch? And, and I, I mean, obviously with the, with hardware and, and content, it's it's going to be kind of hard to, to, to kind of MVP and customer development, some of that stuff to find product market fit. But what was, what was that journey like to know where you knew you got it right? Yeah, absolutely. So for context, I've spent really my whole career in the health and wellness space. I was a professional dancer at the New York City Ballet. I then opened a chain of fitness studios about 10 years ago called Refine Method and grew that to multiple locations here in New York. And then Mira was really born out of sort of personal need. I was uh, newly pregnant, running an increasingly busy business and finding that the boutique studio model wasn't working for me personally anymore. Uh, making a class reservation, traveling 30 minutes, working out in a group of sort of sweaty folks, many of whom were much more athletic than I was at the time. So I started to think about working out in home, but I didn't really want to sacrifice the quality of the class experience for the convenience of the um, at-home workout. Um, I didn't want to put a big bike or treadmill into my apartment. I tried using apps or streaming services, but found it really um, exhausting and awkward to like search for content on YouTube, try to prop up my phone to follow along, and then tracking my progress through a variety of apps and add-ons. Um, mm-hmm. Coincidentally, we put mirrors into our fitness studios and the experience um, our members said was the best upgrade we had done all year um, was give them the feedback on their form and that it created a really immersive environment for, for fitness. Um, and so I knew we were sort of onto something uh, when it came for, you know, creating an at-home platform for content and solving the footprint issue of, of traditional gym equipment. Um, and I think I, I made a decision maybe a bit different than most uh, uh, sort of hardware startups that I initially wanted to really uh, raise money and get the company off the ground based on sort of um, selling the experience rather than selling a, a functional prototype. So we raised our first round of money using um, really like an almost an animated video and a, a series of images to try to um, recreate sort of what the experience would be like and the brand would be like. Um, and then for t- from there, after we raised our first round of financing, we spent about two years really developing the functional product. Um, but you know, unlike most, I think, hardware companies where you sort of build the function and then you layer on experience and brand, we really started the other way. We knew that we were always going to really be a, a content and experience company. And so we wanted to um, kind of start there. Obviously, it sounds like a lot of your customer development was just because you've been in the industry for a long time and you you, you were able to sort of vet a need for it as you as you got to the point where you were ready to, to go after this opportunity. But did you take that same video that you had used with investors and put that in front of uh, individuals and, and try to see if they would get excited about this type of technology? Or was it, did, did you feel confident enough that you could just build it and, and get, get going with it? 
Yeah, I think what I sort of realized early on is that, um, you know, our customers had a clear sense of what they wanted from the experience, but it was sometimes harder for them to uh, look beyond kind of a, a scrappy or crude prototype to what the the ultimate experience could be. So for a long time, you know, close to two years, we sort of had to trust the decades of domain expertise and understanding of the customer. And we really uh, didn't put a lot of people in front of the mirror because we knew that uh, it would be really hard to kind of understand what the ultimate kind of polished product was going to look like when in the early days they were really, you know, our very first prototype was a Raspberry Pie, a tablet, and a piece of one-way glass that I cobbled together in my kitchen. Um, but uh-huh. I, you know, I was fortunate that I had uh, confidence from kind of decades in this space teaching real humans that even if our customers were were not quite able to see what was being built or totally understand it, that I, I understood what ultimately they wanted. That's great. And then when, so you said you launched in September 2018. Once you got it out there, how did you uh, what was the initial reception like? How did you feel like, okay, this, w- when did you feel like uh, all right, we're, we're definitely onto something here? Yeah. So we, we launched on the main stage of TechCrunch um, in a very dramatic fashion. And I think we were kind of standing backstage realizing that really only a handful of people had seen the mirror before that point. And so there was some chance that we would launch and it would really be crickets. Um, I think the first sort of sign of life for us was all of our investors had kind of stayed up late to try to be the first mere purchaser. And um, we we had <laughs> a number of people who purchased mirrors before them. Um, so sort of immediately oh, wow. out of the gates, um, the customer reception was was quite positive. Um, and then I think really the, the big moment for us was in uh, Christmas, um, our first Christmas, I was at home visiting my, my in-laws and I heard my my little cousin kind of scream in the other room and she came in and showed me a video of Alicia Keys uh, receiving a mirror from her family. And she just let out this, you know, Alicia lets out this huge scream of excitement when she sees that they've given her the mirror for Christmas. Um, oh, and I wow. realized in that moment that we were, you know, we were really onto something Thing when you could have this, um, you know, this wonderful, uh, this wonderful celebrity be so excited to receive a gift, and we didn't even know she she had purchased one. Right, and so it's not like you did some celebrity endorsement that you had to negotiate. It just it happened very organically. It sounds like no, I mean it was it was um, really just sort of this exciting moment of realizing, you know, customers were not only loving the product and excited to get it, but we had sort of um, you know also reached uh, sort of the influencer community as well. That's awesome. And and then so from that point to now, what what's been really key to to continuing to to drive the growth that you've gotten to at this point? Um, I think that the the biggest challenge of Mirror, frankly, is just it's the the breadth of the product. You're building original hardware, software, and content. It's a it's a very big business, um, and it's also a platform that really um, captures the imagination of a lot of uh, folks and partners. And so, what's challenging is um, in the face of a lot of inbound excitement and opportunity to stay re- ruthlessly kind of focused on. Our, our vision and our plans and our goals and, and not to um, get distracted because really to kind of to kind of get to, to our destination, we need to be ruthless about kind of prioritizing what we do and what we don't do. Mm-hmm. So, um, but has, in terms of what's actually driven a lot of the adoption up to this point, has it been, has it been a lot of just organic growth or, or have you guys been pretty active in 
uh, a lot of paid media or what's, what's kind of, what, if you could narrow it down to the most important thing that's driven adoption, um, what would you say it is? Sure. I think it's a lot of things. I mean, I think first it's just fundamentally product market fit. It's uh, mm-hmm. a product that is coming, you know, that has a, a huge market coming at really the right time. Um, so you're, I think we've built something that's really right at the tip of current consumer behavior. So it's not like Google Glass where you're trying to change customers' day-to-day functioning. Most people who see the mirror say both, you know, wow, this is the future, and I can't believe I didn't think of this. Um, I think when you have sort of that, um, you know, big market at the right time and the product is really just at the tip of what consumers are already doing and they want, it it makes marketing um, easier. Um, I think that probably in addition to that, you know, it's a a premium product. It's it's considered purchase. It's a household purchase. So just understanding, um, I think, early on the importance of um, brand and establishing um, brand awareness and brand equity before moving into more sort of direct response tactics, I think has been very crucial for us. So we, we knew we wanted, we were creating not just a new product, but a new category. And we really wanted people to, um, to trust us early on. So we did sort of, um, we made some go big kind of choices early. So you saw us within a few months um, doing large billboards and out of home advertisements. We stood up a retail store quite quickly. Um, we had, um, you know, a large celebrity and influencer presence within a few months. Um, and we made some of those choices with the understanding that we, we really needed to establish brand awareness early on. And, and then from there, um, you know, we just, we know it's a multi-touch funnel and, and we have to kind of hit people across numerous channels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I imagine that the, because conceptually, it's kind of hard to get your head around what it is that you guys are doing. So I imagine that, um, like that, that store, uh, having a retail store gives people an opportunity to, to really go and experience it a little bit. Um, and, and billboards might be a little harder to convey that, but, but maybe how, how much have you used video for that? Yeah, I think it's sort of two different tactics. I think some of I think the decision to invest more heavily in brand spend early on things like you know billboards, um, uh, subway campaigns is about establishing brand trust in a new product in a new category. And then I think the second piece is being aware that the mirror is something that um, once you sort of see it, you fall in love with it. And so knowing that places where we could either put people in front of the mirror or rely on video were going to be strong channels for us as compared to um, things where you just, you didn't have that kind of visual component. So we moved into, um, you know, we moved into television quite early um, and channels that maybe startups don't tend to go into early in their life cycle because we knew that once you sort of saw the visual of the product, you would get it and you would love it. Mm-hmm. And so do you have more than one retail store or what's, how, how does that retail store kind of fit into the, to the broader um, picture? Yeah, we have three retail stores now. We have one in New York, one in LA and one in uh, Stanford, California. Um, the early stores for us right now are, um, you know, really high converters for us, but they're also channels. Um, they're also sort of community hubs for us. They're places where we bring um, investors, we bring celebrities, we bring members of the press and members of the mere community together. Um, so 
right now we're really in the phase of kind of uh, refining and defining what makes the mirror retail experience. Um, well, obviously we have just so much uh, scale still on, on, on our digital channels and that's where more of our focus and, and efforts are going today. Uh-huh. And so, um, I mean, you touched a little bit on the, on the challenges, but what, what, I, I can imagine that when you have a physical good and it's it's hard to get that first experience um, without without actually experiencing it, and obviously the retail helps there. Video maybe can can touch on it. Brand might create more desire, but it's but it's ultimately that that experience is going to be pretty hard to get someone to. So what is it would that would be one of the biggest challenges, or are there other challenges as well? No, I mean I think. Um I think we're fortunate that we're coming at a market moment where folks are familiar with connected fitness and many people have investigated options or, or purchased other connected fitness options. So they, they uh, are all already sort of bought into the idea that you can have a great workout at home. They've always wanted to work out in home and have tried or do or dabble, but now they really believe that it can happen. I think that combined with um, putting them in front of uh, be it, a store or video based advertising where they can, uh, that can really kind of pique their interest, um, where they, they can, you get sort of that wow factor of this thing is both the future and what I've always wanted. Um, and then I think the last piece is when you, when you start to, when you build a product that people fundamentally love, they want to share it. And so we, you know, we, we reached a point reasonably early in our life cycle where I think the customer flywheel really started to kick in and you see people, sharing on social, commenting on ads, um, passing post-workout selfies that they create to friends and family members, asking for referral codes, things like that. And then, you know, the member base really starts to um, help to drive the engine. Yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So how, how big is the overall team now? Um, the team is about 75. And then we have additional part-time folks who help us across member experience and retail. I assume that you didn't start with 75 people a couple of years ago. So there's, there's probably been a lot of kind of adjustment as, as the team's grown. What, um, what, how have kind of the roles shaken out over time and what, what are some of the growth challenges there in, in building up that team? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, in the early days, uh, you know, the team, there was a lot of sort of, uh, scrappy generalists. People were wearing a ton of different hats as we sort of, kind of tested into what worked and what didn't work. Um, I think we then moved into a phase this past year where we were really um, building out more senior leaders on the team, uh, folks who uh, have done this before, you know, still scrappy, still hungry, but um, people who uh, really can own their functional silos. And, and now we're kind of moving into more of a scale phase where we're hiring more mid-level and junior folks just to support support the growth. So you're seeing more junior mid-level engineers, more member experience team, uh, channel managers on the marketing side. Um, now, as we kind of move into more scale phase. Mm -hmm. And then for, as far as the growth side of things, do you, do you have, do you, for example, do you need to do much uh, customer touch in these sales or is it, I mean, the, the price point's right at that, that point where it seems like people would feel more comfortable if they had a bit of, of customer touch, but um, how, how much have you found that's important? No, I mean, we don't have a sales uh, sales team or sales organization um, at Mirror. We have a member experience team who, you know, sort of handle, handles questions and inbounds and things like that. And it's a very um, high-touch onboarding process from 
like more of delivery and installation to within your first 90 days, uh, we want to be, uh, you know, uh, available and active and in, in helping you find the content that you want and learning how to, how to use the mirror um, to, to suit your goals. Um, but we are, we're not really driving folks into a, into a sales structure. Okay. That's great. And then, um, so do you, it sounds like you've got a lot of kind of traditional brand building marketing skills on the team and that you're doing more of the kind of digital conversion marketing now. What does the, what does that team look like? Yeah. So we have, um, you know, a brand team that's focused on, um, a lot of creative production and creative ops. So the mirror is a, a challenging object to photograph in video. So mm-hmm. we have probably, probably a higher touch. We have a, a higher touch kind of creative process. And um, obviously, because brand is so important to us, we enjoy owning the creative really in house. Um, and then our, our digital team is um, you know small but mighty, and they're managing everything from Facebook, Google, Bing. Um, television, um, and then testing into new channels. And then we have, you know, email sort of uh, acquisition and retargeting efforts and engagement efforts that are sort of shared across the two teams. So a lot of the, those digital parts are going to be pretty trackable, obviously, but um, on the, on the branding parts, do you feel like you have a pretty good sense for what the ROI is on those efforts or is it more, feeling like you need to you you need to have faith that if you build the strong enough brand then you're going to get the response in the channels and and but it's a little bit more on on gut or do do you find there's a way to 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 validate that gut with numbers yeah no i mean i think it's um i think it's more just uh in the early days sort of the budget was more heavily weighted towards things that were less directly trackable and then once you feel like you reach a certain level of brand awareness you certainly continue to apply that same brand ethos to all the direct response efforts that you're doing. Um, but you shift more of your budget to more directly trackable uh, exercises. Um, so while we might have done New York Times ads in the early days and more billboards, those efforts become more controlled during sort of crucial times of year for us. And, and more of the budget starts to get allocated towards things where we um, can do more direct attribution. Um, so I think it's been more of a life cycle, uh, life cycle thing. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's so interesting with this business that it feels like you, um, some, some of the lower risk ways of bringing a software company to market of just, you know, that, that small MVP and iterate around that and primarily digital channels to, to test and scale that you've, you've had to have a lot of faith along the way from kind of get getting everything right for that launch and then you know starting with the branding and now moving into more of the more more attributable uh channels that that are out there but uh i mean it's it's good it feels like it's gotten you to this point do you think that there's any other way that you could have 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 gotten here or do you do you feel like that that for launching a an innovative hardware product that you have to you have to basically have a different playbook that in, in includes getting it right, getting that experience right, and, and having more of a, a, a brand push in the beginning to get things rolling. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my bias maybe from having watched so many hardware products, you know, launch via Kickstarter, pre-sale, and sort of struggle to kind of gain momentum is that um, if you're building something new uh, and it's a premium price point, you really, you can't sell on specs, you've got to sell on experience. 
And selling on experience requires uh, a stronger investment and, a, and real momentum at launch. Um, then you can kind of build efficiency over time. The, the positive of our business model is, you know, we are a SaaS business with really high LTV. And so uh, we, are, we are able to invest more upfront in acquiring our customer, knowing that once you bring us into your home, um, you're going to be in our family for, for a long time. And so um, I, I generally would encourage folks building innovation products, premium products, physical products, especially ones where you're, you're asking someone to put, put you into their home, that you, you get it right at the start. You don't ship fast and iterate. And you, you invest in the start in creating um, an experience that people are excited to buy into. Yeah, no, I I think it makes sense. I actually um, interviewed, or or we I think we had uh, the CEO from Ring present at one of our conferences a, a while back, and it was it was really interesting just just how much how much just sort of mission driven big big push has been critical for building that business, and and, and it definitely seems to be something that's more in the. In the hardware space, obviously, they're much sort of like uh, impulsive, probably purchased than than you guys would be from a price point perspective. But uh, it's it, it is interesting. So, have you found as the company has grown? I mean, probably in the beginning, it was it was a lot of tech people. Obviously, as you were as you were getting the 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 initial product out the door, have you found that it's it's hard to keep everybody on the same page as you've as you've moved from a handful of probably pretty tech people to to more of the content creators and marketing and you know d- the different cultures that end up coming into a company is it dr- driving that alignment has that been difficult or has it been pretty pretty easy for you guys I mean I think the the benefit of having uh, you know built a business previously and made mistakes and learned from those mistakes is I you know I realized early on that sort of my, in my last business, I, I didn't really have a clear kind of North star as it related to mission and vision. And I, you know, our company culture definitely had values, but they weren't clearly articulated and disseminated. So that's actually sort of an exercise that we did at the very beginning of our, our life cycle. And I think that that has been, um, incredibly unifying for the company as a whole, um, everything from hiring to how we set our yearly goals and our KPIs, um, and then how we, we choose projects that ladder up into those. So for us, I, I think people, um, you know, we still sort of take things on and then, you know, later look back and say that didn't really, that wasn't really the effort versus impact of that initiative and service goals didn't make a ton of sense. But I think everyone in the company kind of understands what we're building, why we're building and how we do it. And how would you describe the mission of the business? Yeah. So our, our uh, mission is to build experiences that connect people to a better version of themselves. Um, our ultimate vision is to have a mirror in every home. Um, and we have really a sort of a series of core values for how we work that we think are in service of those goals. So um, I think unlike a, a lot of startups, you know, one of the main ones is we believe that better is better, that the difference between 99% and 100 uh, is important, and that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Um, and as a result, you know, another one of our goals means that we have to really hack away at the inessential. Um, and so doing less is, is, is part of our, our ethos as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that, that you communicate a lot with the broader team about and, and everybody, everybody feels like they have a pretty good understanding of, of that mission and those company ethos. Yeah, I think so. And I think we're, we're very transparent, you know, um, we have yearly goals and then every quarter we're, 
really being careful and to ensure that every project that is, is underway is still laddering up into those goals and the KPIs make sense. And I think um, everyone on the team can kind of identify what those things are. Um, so I think having those things sort of set at the executive level helps to ensure that there's consistency across the company. And and then how are you able to tie in really growth and progress with that mission? I mean, growth can be painful. There's obviously, especially when you have fulfillment and a lot of the other challenges and customer support, all the things that happen with the messiness of growth. If if people feel like that growth is is serving the broader mission, a lot of times they can they can be pretty excited about that. So how how have you been able to balance those two things? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing is and. one of the central learnings from Refine Method with my, my fitness studio where we ha- we did not have the budget for marketing. There was no digital marketing. The business was a bootstrap business where client one had to refer client two and studio one had to pay for studio two. And so the way that that was able to occur was by being obsessively customer centric in every single way. Um, and so to me, how you sort of weigh way initiatives as they relate to growth or stability is you put the customer at the center. And if, mm-hmm. it, if fundamentally you're serving the, the customer, um, then I think you make the right choices. Mm-hmm. And so, but then everybody knowing that this, this long-term goal of a mirror in every house, it's just all of the, all of the steps moving in that direction is, uh, is, is like feels good is progress against against that goal of a of a mirror in every house. So why don't we go through a little bit of just the the approach that you go from uh, when someone first finds out about mirror to where they become a raving fan? What what's that kind of gen, general journey like? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know as I sort of said earlier, it's a it's a multi touch process, and we understand that that um, we need to pique your interest. So we need you to see the product and. Uh, or hear about the product uh, in from the press or from a celebrity or an influencer and just think to yourself, wow, that's cool. I want to learn more. Um, I think there's a phase of education where we move into really ensuring that you understand um, what the product does, how it will serve your needs, um, really uh, uh, getting you sort of comfortable with the purchase. Um, and then I think, Kind of the final piece and the and the closing piece frequently is um, some amount of, of social proof, be it reviews or knowing folks in your network who have a mirror and love their mirror, um, UGC, just really understanding that you're joining a community of of happy and satisfied uh, members. Um, and so I think it's it's multi it's multiple touches to sort of get you to that point. Um, you know, excitement, education, and then uh, sort of that that safety uh, as you make the decision. I, I assume that uh, a pretty small percentage of people who end up purchasing had ever actually touched a, a mirror before. Is that is that a correct assumption, or is it is is there enough of them out there that they will have seen one in the wild before they end up purchasing one? Yeah, I think very few very few few folks have seen the mirror before they purchase it. Wow. So that's, I mean, that, that's a really, I mean, it makes sense in the journey that you talked about how you have to take them through each of those gates, just given that you're, you're making an investment in something that you haven't physically touched before is, is pretty, uh, pretty, pretty interesting and challenging. And then you also talked about just the, the power of referrals in, in the business in general. Um, so it's that everything from kind of, you mentioned reviews right now, you mentioned the, the sort of celebrity side of things. And then, and then what about just even people who, 
who really enjoy it and they're telling their friends about it. How, how do all of those parts work together on, on driving that kind of referral engine? Yeah, we're at a phase now where we have sort of enough critical mass of units that it, it makes sense for us to build out more formal ways of folks, you know, uh, referring their friends. So building out referral via the mirror app and the website so people can kind of um, have the tools to, to share their love of mirror. But in the early days, it was really fundamentally inbounds. It was people who had the product, who loved it, who said, hey, here's my friend Sally. I told about it. Uh, she wants more information or... I posted this thing on my Instagram and I've gotten so much inbound interest. Do you have a referral program or an affiliate program? Um, so really like our members sort of came to us and said, we want to share the mere love, give us the tools. Um, and then now, you know, we're at a point in our life cycle where there's enough of those folks um, in place that we're building more formal, a more formal referral program um, mm-hmm. because that flywheel really is there now. Mm-hmm. And then what about on the influencer side? I mean, it sounds like it, it started out pretty organic. Did you have any sort of really um, uh, less organic efforts on the on the influencer side? Yeah, I mean, the, the sort of the celebrity or influencer effect um, was not really intended. We, we did a little bit of early seeding on the celebrity side. And just interestingly, it was one of the first communities to kind of demonstrate the network effect of the mirror. You know, you had celebrity one seeing it in celebrity two's house and then buying it or uh, a stylist telling a lawyer, telling an agent, telling a celebrity. Um, So the word kind of spread within the celebrity community um, organically and in a way that wasn't really intended. Um, And but those are now relationships that we are fortunate to have and we, we cultivate it. So, um, you know, folks like Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop were instrumental in our bringing Tracy Anderson, who's a celebrity trainer, onto the platform as part of a content partnership. Uh, or Ellen, you know, because she loves her mirror, chose to feature it on the on the Ellen show during her Christmas special. Um, so that wasn't really a part of our, our kind of launch strategy, but... Um, it, I think, sort of speaks to the fact that once you kind of have the mirror, you're, you want to talk about it. Right. Well, that is that is amazing that to have so much of that be organic there is, uh, is really a testament to having a great product as well. Um, it sounds like you've, you've been a, a trainer, so you're probably a little more dedicated to fitness than, than a lot of <laughs> us humans are, um, myself especially, <laughs> where it's... Uh, you know, it, it always requires that big push to to build a habit around exercise, and then separately, it's a big push to build a habit around a new product. Um, but both of those are, are are pretty big challenges. Um, and when you take the intersection of the two of them, building a habit around using mirror, um, obviously they make a big investment, which is a a good start. But how do you how does someone go to the point where they actually have a habit built around using the product? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing, and frankly, it was an evolution for me in my career as a fitness professional from being a a professional dancer who made my living off of exercise to a studio owner where I worked out every day as part of my job to then fundamentally just a busy tech professional who had to sort of figure out how to fit fitness into my my broader day in life um, is I think the realization that... um, you know, 1% of the population will wake up every single day and work out. And those are frequently folks who are more athletic, maybe competitive in nature, they're metrics oriented. And then there's the other 99% who really just sort of struggle to show up. And I think for those folks, um, it's really less about the destination. It's less about uh, 
pounds lost, strength gained. Um, and it's more about creating an immediate experience that is rewarding and gratifying that makes you feel good about yourself. And so I think kind of um, as my own orientation towards fitness shifted, um, it helped me to really build a product where we prioritize creating an experience where you have fun, feel good about yourself, feel like you've learned something, like you're accomplished. Even if, you know, that far off goal of five pounds of fat lost or strength gained um, doesn't ever happen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but it's, I think it's shifting the focus and the, um, um, and the emphasis of the experience into uh, into the now that I think has been really important. Um, and we, we sort of orient around that as a product. So, you know, it may be super, the most efficient workout you may do might be 90 minutes of high intensity interval training, but um, I want to try to get you to do five minutes of meditation uh, so that you really get into the habit of spending five minutes a day taking time for yourself. Um, because I think that that is going to build momentum. Uh, whereas trying to get you to commit to sort of the 90 minutes of the most perfect workout, um, it's just a much higher bar for most people. Um, and so I think that's the, that's sort of how we think about uh, making mere members uh, engaged and, and building a community that people love. If the journey is a rewarding enough journey, then people are, are going to want to be doing it more often. So you, you just mentioned about like the, um, the meditation piece. Do you guys have that type of content as well, or is it, is it all exercise content? We do. We just uh, launched a few weeks ago meditation in partnership with Lululemon, who were um, you know, also fortunate to, to count as uh, investors in Mir. And it's been um, incredibly exciting to see um, uh, particularly uh, like a lot of beginners uh, trying meditation for the very first time. And the reception has been really, really positive. Um, and I think it's really just because all we're asking of you is to uh, show up and sit quietly, which, um, you know, everyone can do. Right. And I guess it's not a far stretch from what yoga is and just kind of uh, it's a, it's kind of all, all of these things are about, um, you know, mental health, physical health and, balance and it makes sense that it would all be part of that. So one, one last question before we wrap up, um, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that maybe you didn't understand a couple of years ago when you were getting started and not necessarily what you would do over again, but just something that you, you feel like you've got a, a, a stronger handle on? Yeah. So I think my, uh, the biggest thing I learned about growth, I, I think I learned from my first business, we built, um, one of the very first boutique fitness studios in Manhattan before there was SoulCycle and Flywheel. And it was really the right market moment. And I think we built a great product. It was a product that people really loved, um, but we didn't market the product. Uh, and we didn't capitalize the business, frankly, such that we could really take advantage of the market opportunity and the product we had. And instead, I spent a long time really just optimizing, 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 and optimizing on the product and the experience. Um, and so I think my, my learning from, from that, that I've sort of taken into mirror, you know, you have to have, if you have the right product and it's the right market moment, you need to be aggressive about investing in growth, um, early in your life cycle so that you can capitalize on what you've built. And so I think we, um, I spend less time kind of optimizing and over-optimizing the product and relying on the product to just sell itself and more time realizing that um, kind of 
uh, growth requires effort. And um, that's something that I'm now comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of my big takeaways from this, this whole conversation is that while you've, you spent a lot of time nailing in the product and getting that, that product experience, right. It sounds like you guys are really deliberate about the, the customer journey from, from consideration and, and interest and, and isn't that cool kind of product to building that confidence to where they're ready to pull the trigger and, and ultimately become engaged and, and dedicated to, to using it on an ongoing basis. And it's, uh, it, it, it takes a lot of, um, a lot of kind of intuition and, and understanding about the customer, uh, and, and the journey that they follow in making that decision. But it sounds like you guys are doing a, an awesome job with that. So thank you for everything that you've shared today. It's uh, it, it's, it's an exciting business and, and a really different business than, than probably anything that I've looked at so far in on this podcast. So I'm excited that we had you on and thank you for being so open and sharing the journey with us. Thanks so much for having me. This has been fun. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.